In this episode of Physically Spiritual, I will explore fatherhood. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Last year, I became a father for the first time. Becoming a father is a terrible responsibility. Learning how to be a father without a child is like learning how to ride a bike without a bike. You can read books about bike riding, attend lectures about riding a bike, watch demonstrations, even spend time visualizing the act. But in spite of all this knowledge, if you get up on a bike for the first time, the number one thing you're going to notice is you can't balance on it. Right? There's, there's something physical, there's something fleshy, there's something in your body that needs to be trained and can really only be trained on a bike. And becoming a father is sort of like this. See, fatherhood and sonship happen simultaneously. The, the father and the son come into being at the same time. And, but you're responsible for your child from the very moment they come into existence. So you're faced with this terrible situation where there's nearly nothing you can do to really prepare yourself to do what you're going to need to do as a father. But on the other hand, from the moment that child's conceived, everything you do matters. It all counts. That little child relies on you for everything. So in this series of Physically Spiritual, in the next five episodes, I want to talk about fatherhood both share some of what I've learned uh, from studying fatherhood before being a father and, and here in this first year of fatherhood. But in the series, I also want to go back to school. And after these introductory episodes, I'm going to have three guests on the show. All three men have taught me something um, special about fatherhood, but I think also something, um, something of value, something new, something unique. So I'm excited to share their life and their story with you too during the series. So stay tuned for the next episodes for this series on fatherhood. There's, poss- there's possibly nothing really more physically spiritual than parenthood. You know, in its most basic explanation, being a father is simply being a man who happens to have a child. Right? So this is just a, a basic biological fact of, of bearing a child, contributing the biological material for a baby to be, to be conceived. But in its most exalted expression, God reveals himself to us as father. The creator of the whole universe, the creator of each one of us that loves us, that's redeemed us, this this divine reveals himself to us as our father, as our parent. That this image of parental love is the image by which God chooses to communicate himself to us. So parenthood is more physically spiritual than almost any other reality. The dictionary simply defines being a father as being a male parent or a man who has begotten a child. Right? So this kind of basic idea that a physical parenthood is just simply the fact of having a child, whether by adoption or, or by, um, by birth or, or whatever means, it's so basic, it's almost not helpful, right? We don't just want to be a father. 
I don't think anyone's goal is just simply to have children. I think it's in the human heart. We want to be good parents. We want to be good fathers and good mothers. But how do we do this? I want to dive in a little bit to scripture and the teaching of the church to explore not just what does it mean to be a father, but what does it mean to be a good father? The first quality I want to point out is that a father gives good things to his children. From Luke chapter 11, our Lord Jesus Christ says, What father among you would hand his son a snake when he asks for a fish? Or hand him a scorpion when he asks for an egg? If you then who are wicked know how to give good things to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this first concept, the father gives good things to his children, I think is, is expressed in the most banal, basic way as simply the father is the provider. Right? This is, uh, this is maybe uh, too stereotypical, <laughs> too basic, too shallow. The father is the provider. I think the scripture is inviting us to something deeper. Right? It's inviting us to encounter the reality that what Jesus is saying is the father gives us the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, is one substance, meaning the same God in three persons. So what Jesus is saying isn't just the Father gives us good things, but he's saying the Father gives us the best thing. And the best thing the Father has to give is himself. It's his own divine being. So what this invites us to do here on earth is that the best thing a father has to give is himself. The best thing a father has to give is himself. So when I read this and think of this, you know, I think of our, 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 our one-year-old son, Solanus, um, and, you know, I provide for him. I go to work and make a salary and, and bring that money home and go grocery shopping and provide food and, and there's a shelter for him to live in and clothes for him to wear and all of that stuff. But frankly, all that stuff would matter very little to him if I failed to love him, right? Is it more important that, that I go to the job and, and work and make money or is it more important that when I get home, I'm present to him and I love him, right? That I can get work out of my head, out of my mind, enter into his little world, right? Give him the gift of my attention, of my presence, of my play, and just give him myself. I'd propose to you that it's more important that we, we provide our children with ourselves than it is that we provide them with anything else. All right, our second quality of fatherhood, a father calls forth the heart of their child. A father calls forth the heart of their child. From Malachi chapter 3, before the day of the Lord comes, that great and terrible day, he will turn the heart of fathers to their sons and the heart of sons to their fathers. All right, this this turning of the heart to one another. First, we should just ask the question, what's the heart? The catechism uh, defines the heart as the place of decision and the place of covenant. One of the traditional conceptions of the heart is it's really the human will 
and then the complex of of uh, passions and appetites that go along with that will. So it's the part of our our spiritual self, the deepest core of us, but it's but it's that deepest core of us in relation to what we're attracted to and what we choose. The part of us that that seeks for something, longs for something, strives for something. So to have your heart turned toward someone means that that you you long for them. You find pleasure in them. You desire them. You want what's best for them. You will the good for of the other as other. That's the definition of what love is in the classical sense. So the scripture says that he will turn the heart of the fathers to their sons and the heart of sons to their fathers. So in our, our fallen state, one of the characteristics of fallen fatherhood or broken fatherhood is that the father and son's hearts will be turned away from each other. And we can see this in, in, in the image, maybe a stereotype of the, the person who, although they're there, they're not really present, right? They're with their family, they're with their children, but their heart's not with them, right? Maybe think of the image of the person on their cell phone scrolling through social media or, or compulsively checking their portfolio or something like that, right? Their heart is given to Whatever is in that device, either the, the need to self-soothe through staring at that screen or whatever information they're seeking after, you know, think of the person who can't stop watching television and attend to the needs of the child, right? There, there's something about them given over in a way to something other than the son, something other than the child. Then on the other hand, think of the kid who doesn't want to have anything to do with their parents anymore, right? They're turned away. Maybe they just want to spend time with their friends. They just want to play their video games. They just want to get away, do their own thing. And what our Lord is saying here is he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their sons and sons to their fathers. Well, I have a challenge there for anyone that's a father out there like me. You win the heart of your son, you win the heart of your child by giving them yours. Right. So, so we as the parents have to be the initiators and this is exactly what God does with us. When we were in our sin, when we were in our brokenness, when our heart was turned from the Lord, the Lord came to us. And that's the incarnation, that God himself would take on flesh. The whole Christ came to us and won our hearts back by po- literally pouring out his heart for us. And that's the cross, the great icon of God's love for us, the great uh, expression of the divine pouring himself out to win our hearts back over. So our, our second principle, a father calls forth their children's hearts by giving them his own heart. A father calls forth their child's heart by giving them his own heart. All right, our third principle, and this one might make us the most uncomfortable, a father disciplines their children. This from the 12th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. You have also forgotten the exhortation addressed to you as sons. My son, do not disdain the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son he acknowledges. Endure your trials as discipline. 
God treats you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So when we think of this idea of discipline, you know, when I hear that word, I think of like parenting books, like self-help books about parenthood that teach discipline techniques, like following through with your word and, and using timeouts and, and doing other things as sort of an, an act of discipline upon us. But one thing I think it's an important uh, subtext to this text of Hebrews is when we're talking about the Lord's discipline of the Son, everything the Lord asks us to do, he's done first. Right? So God became human, God became human, and then endured the greatest trials, the greatest sufferings for our behalf. So everything the Lord asks us to do, everything the Lord calls us to do to endure, he himself bore for our sake first. So I want to propose discipline's not primarily something you do, it's something you are. Discipline is not primarily something you do, it's something you are. So the, the Lord doesn't discipline us out of techniques like timeouts and spankings and other things like that. The Lord sets an example for us of what it means to be human, an example of discipline, an example of a life well-lived and flourished. And, and that life was according to the design of what it means to be human, sort of an example or, or a, a living uh, idea of how to flourish as a human. Uh, you might think of the Gospels as an instruction manual to human nature. And out of that place, the Lord calls forth discipline in us. So the heart of the Christian life is an imitation of Christ. And these sufferings, these trials we endure, the difficulty we face in life, it isn't a, like a punishment, plain and simple. There's a facet of punishment to it, sure. Uh, the wages of sin is death. So, so every time we sin, it, it deserves something. But one of the primary punishments for sin is the way it, we damage ourselves through it. So every sin... Everything that, that we struggle with, and then every sin that happens to us, so the sins that we've received from our own parents, the sins that we've, that, the way that other people's wounds have harmed us, so on and so forth, each one of these things damages our human nature. And as a result, we become less capable of the good. These wounds darken our mind and weaken our will and turn our passions towards things that don't cause us to flourish. Either not enough of a good thing, too much of a bad thing. You want it at the wrong time in the wrong place. You're afraid of things that you should be courageous toward. And you're boldly heading into things that you should avoid. Right? This is the result of the woundedness in the human heart that we all suffer from. So these, these trials, these things that we face in so many ways are also lessons. Out of Stoic philosophy comes the idea that the obstacle is the way. The obstacle is the way. It's the title of a famous book by Ryan Holiday. The obstacle is the way, meaning that the very things we face, by, by facing those, by entering into those realities, and, and boldly facing them with the Lord, seeking healing in the midst of them, that's the very path deeper in. That's the path further up, closer to God, to become more the image of him as father. 
And Christ sets the example of this. Discipline is not primarily something you do. It's something you are. And so in my life, when I think of this, this is really a challenge to me. Like, I can't expect my son to eat well unless I eat well. I can't expect him to exercise unless I exercise. I can't expect him to pray unless I pray. He's not going to love the Lord if I don't. He's not going to live a life in accord with the gospel if I don't. The, the Lord might work some kind of rescue mission in his life, and I hope he does, to make him so much better than me. But on the other hand, as a parent, I can't expect any discipline out of him that I don't express in my own life. So these are our three characteristics of fatherhood that, I, that I'm focusing on. A father gives good things to his children. He creates them and he gives them his, himself. A father calls forth the heart of their child and he calls forth his child's heart by giving them his own heart. And then fa- finally, a father disciplines his children. But discipline's not primarily something you do. It's something you are. So it's Catholics, we have this interesting practice of calling our priests father. From a worldly point of view, this kind of makes no sense, right? You know, the the basic definition of being a father is having a, a child, a biological child, a physical person there whom you are the parent of. So why the heck do we call our priests father? And I want to propose a distinction here between physical fatherhood and spiritual fatherhood, or we might even better define it as natural fatherhood versus supernatural fatherhood, meaning fatherhood according to the design of, of what's accomplished in the body, in nature, versus fatherhood that's accomplished in the supernatural order of God's grace, the divine economy that was won for us by the covenants and by Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. This is what the Catechism has to say about really holy orders in general, but especially the priesthood. Catechism 1547 says, The ministerial or hierarchical priesthood of bishops and priests and the common priesthood of all the faithful participate each in its own proper way in the one priesthood of Christ. While being ordered one to the other, they differ essentially. In what sense? While the common priesthood of the faithful is exercised by the unfolding of baptismal grace, a life of faith, hope, and charity, a life according to the Spirit, the ministerial priesthood is at the service of the common priesthood. It is directed at the unfolding of the baptismal grace of all Christians. The ministerial priesthood is a means by which God unceasingly builds up and leads his church. For this reason, it is transmitted by its own sacrament, the sacrament of holy orders. Right, this, this building up of the church, this uh, unceasing way that the, the Lord feeds all of us through the ministerial priesthood, through our priests and bishops, is in essence what a father, a good father, is called to do with their child. Right, a good priest... A good bishop gives good things to their children. Well, what's one of the primary things that a priest gives to their people? He gives the sacraments. He gives the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. He passes out 
divine forgiveness and reconciliation in the confessional. He, he passes out divine life at the baptismal font. And then, and just the details of their everyday life, the priest is called to conform their life into the image of pers- the person of Christ, the head, the bridegroom of the church. So the priest is this living example. So that the priest gives his own masculine heart into the ministry and by that that gift of self that gift of of his whole masculinity into the church the priest bears forth divine life for his spiritual children and then finally the priest is called also to discipline and this is something we're uncomfortable with in our culture you know, in, in a couple episodes we'll have on Father Mike Dandrand, and we'll kind of touch on the subject a little bit, how, how he worked this out in my life as one of my spiritual fathers. Uh, so I'd encourage you to, to tune into that episode in a couple weeks. But this, this call to fatherhood isn't just a call um, to be the good guy. We, we have this image of dad from our society that's like the, um, it's like the, the sitcom dad. And this, this image of dad is like, dad's like another one of the kids, right? The only parent in the house is mom. And dad is kind of a, a lovable idiot, or maybe, maybe dad is sort of this, uh, this sort of selfish, self-seeking person who, who just sort of tries to get what they want. You know, they spend as much time as they can in their man cave or trying to hang out with their buddies or, or, or whatever kind of pleasure they're seeking. But oftentimes we're confronted with images of fatherhood that that have lost this dignity, uh, the dignity of of really God's fatherhood. So there, can, I think, can be a, a temptation in spiritual fatherhood to be like this. You know, you're kind of like an image of Buddy Christ, to call back the old image from that a very irreverent move me dogma back in the day. But that 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 idea that Jesus is just a good guy, just a good friend, a buddy. But there, there's more to this than that. There's something deeper. All the intricacy, all of the depth, all of the meaning that's in, that's in physical fatherhood is included in spiritual fatherhood. I want to propose, though, that all men are called to spiritual fatherhood, not just priests and deacons and bishops. All men are called to spiritual fatherhood. So f- for me, as a man, having a son, Solanus, I'm his biological father, physical father, right? But part of being a good father is also being a spiritual father. Meaning in our home, I exercise my baptismal priesthood in a sense as the priest of my house. This was expressed in the life of the chosen people when they were in Egypt and in slavery before they received the covenant of God on Mount Sinai the fa- each father of the home was given instructions to perform the sacrifice and the meal, the Passover meal, in their own home. Right? There was this sense that, that the father acted as a priest on behalf of his family. And it was only later that the Levites were sort of instituted in this, this precursor of our ministerial priesthood. So in the New Covenant, Christ has both raised a new ministerial priesthood but he's also, in a sense, recovered this priesthood of fatherhood, the fathers in their homes. 
So we might say that the ministerial priesthood is a, a means by which Christ unceasingly builds up and leads his ecclesial family. And the baptismal priesthood is a means by which Christ unceasingly builds up and leads his domestic church. So the ministerial priesthood builds up the ecclesial family. Ecclesia is just a fancy word for church. So the the parish, your church, is in some sense a family of people, and you call your priest father. And so the, the priest, the ministerial priesthood, unceasingly builds up that church family. And the baptismal priesthood unceasingly builds up the domestic church. That term domestic church is one of the ways that the Catholic Church describes the family. That, that in the home, in, in this domestic space, the life of grace, the good people sharing good things, the economy of salvation is being played out through the sacrament that pertains especially into that space, meaning the marriage of the husband and wife, being an image of God's love for humanity. So that the, the children grow up in the midst of this constant lesson about God's love. And and that's the high calling of marriage, that the husband and wife become an icon of divine love. So that, in, in a sense, the first catechism of a son or daughter is the body of their mother, that they experience in the flesh, in the womb of their mom, in the interaction between husband and wife, even while they're still in the womb, the, the reaction of the wife to their husband, that they, they experience in that a catechism of divine love. And then when they're first born, things like, like breastfeeding, the experience of the delight of their parents' face, the light of the parents' face, their joy, their interaction, their playfulness, the feeling of their parents' strength, Right, that's, that's so far beyond them. To the little baby, the, the parent's strength feels infinite. But at the same time, that strength is used for their protection, for their delight, that they could be thrown in the air and everything inside of them trusts that they'll be caught and they delight in that most terrifying thing that could happen to someone. Right? In, in so many ways, the body of mom and dad is the first catechism to the child. So that then when they reach the age of reason and can more fully enter into what's offered them in the church, in the sacrament of the Eucharist, in lessons of the catechism, in the liturgy of the word at mass, right? That what they hear in those contexts resonates, that it corresponds to, that it's in harmony with the lessons they've experienced in and through their parents' bodies their whole life. Right? As I talk about this kind of exalted image of parenthood, this is, this is an ideal, right? And, and we all know that, that every family falls short. Sometimes children don't have both parents. Sometimes a parent's not available. Sometimes a parent struggles with some kind of emotional difficulty. Sometimes because of work, they need to be absent. So there's so many ways, right, that we can fall short of this that are out of our control. And I want to recognize that. And I want to affirm anyone in that space that that you don't have a need to feel guilty for that or bad for that. We're all just called to do the best we can with the cards that are dealt to us. But on the other hand, I think it's also a challenge. 
it's a challenge to give more, to go deeper, uh, to, to strive and seek after that high calling. Right? The baptismal priesthood is a means by which Christ unceasingly builds up and leads his domestic church. So by, by living out the graces of baptism, especially expressed in, in the conjugal covenant of marriage, the husband and wife uh, teach their children about God. And then on the other hand, the ministerial priesthood is the means by which Christ unceasingly builds up his ecclesial family, his church. Husbands, be to your wives as Christ is to the church. So the, the priest is an espousal relationship to the church. And in the love expressed between the priest and his bride, the chosen people experience in the body of the priest a catechism of divine love. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.